I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. This is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly provocative talk radio. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. Lars. Our beloved Lars. republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. No, here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette. And my cat, Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's Conspiracy Theory Thursday, and it's my pleasure to be with you. If you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's happening right here. And it's a target-rich environment for a Conspiracy Theory Thursday. i got to tell you that. Donald Trump gave part of the closing arguments in his trial in New York City. You know, the fraud trial where nobody actually got defrauded and the alleged victims were banks that said, no, no, we're not mad at him. We'd like more of his business because he borrowed money from them. But he was said to have inflated the value of his properties. In other words, Letitia James, the attorney general of New York, decided to go after Donald Trump because, well, why would she do that? Because she ran for office saying, I will get Donald Donald Trump one way or another. And of course, she brought the charges against him. And then they had all that crazy testimony. Now, there's a judge hearing this trial, and the judge wasn't too crazy about Donald Trump giving his own closing argument. So he said, I'll give you five minutes. I wish I had audio of this, but I'll give you five minutes. And you have to follow all these rules about what you're allowed to say and what you're not allowed to say. So when Trump stood up in the courtroom today, it's described by some of the reporters who were there today. The judge is trying to ask him, will you go along with the rules I've laid out for your speech in court? And I think Donald Trump gave exactly the right response. He just started giving his speech and he went about six minutes and he was, you know, the way Donald Trump usually is, which is fantastic. And I think that's great to tell this judge, you know, this judge has been biased against him from the beginning. In fact, at one point when Trump was due to take the stand and testify, the judge literally said, I don't have to listen to what he says. I don't care what he says. Now, when you've got people in black robes making decisions for Americans and saying things like that, I think those are judges that need to be put back in their place. I think Donald Trump did just that with his speech today. In any case, if you want to join in, it's 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Oh, and you can vote in our X poll. We used to call it the Twitter poll. Now it's X. It is the X poll. Does posting doorbell camera pictures of porch pirates violate their privacy? And if you say, Lars, what crazy people are claiming that porch pirates have their privacy violated by a doorbell camera that catches video and audio of their crime. Well, guess what? It's Canadian police, and specifically, it's the SQ, the Surette Quebec. In other words, this is happening in Quebec, and the Canadian police, the police are warning people in Canada. You have these doorbell cameras, ring doorbell cameras, and all that stuff, and they're now warning citizens Yes, you can take pictures of the thieves who are stealing pa packages off your front porch, you know, Amazon Prime and UPS and all that. But we don't want you to post that surveillance footage online. And why not? I kid you not. This is what the cops are saying, because it might violate the private life of the alleged thieves. Quote, you cannot post the images yourself because you have to remember in Canada, we have a presumption of innocence and posting that picture could be a violation of private life. That actually came from a police lieutenant named Benoit Richard. Now, 
I think this is cockamamie stuff when the cops are actually saying we're more concerned about the private life of criminals. Now, I will tell you this. You have to be careful and make sure if you were to post some video and it was defamatory in some way. But one of the lessons I soaked up as an investigative reporter, because we had to deal with lawyers all the time, our own lawyers as well. And they would always tell us, Lars, you have to be careful not to defame somebody. Defamation occurs when you say something that is false about somebody. You know it's false when you said it, and you intend to do that person some harm. There's some malice involved. Well, in this case, if you're merely saying, hey, I had packages on my front porch. Somebody I don't know came up in a mask or with sunglasses and a ball cap, and they took the packages. And I didn't tell them they could take my packages, and you post that online. What in the world? I'd love to see a thief go to court and say, well, you've invaded my private life. But the fact that the police in Quebec are actually standing up for the criminals instead of the citizens, folks, you know we're in big trouble at that point. Because all you're doing is showing something that actually happened. Now, if somebody uses AI to put somebody else's picture in there, like Justin Trudeau stealing money out of your wallet because that guy and his carbon tax have done incredible damage in Canada, well, then that, that would cross the line. But that's when you put up something that's fake or false or created by AI. Does posting doorbell camera pictures of porch pirates violate their privacy? My answer to that would be no. You're merely telling your fellow neighbors, hey, these are the guys going through the neighborhood taking packages. Watch out for them and call the police when you see them. You can find today's X poll at Lars Larson Show on X. You can also find it on our on our uh, website at LarsLarson.com. It's brought to you by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. AMAC has the conservative values I believe in. I joined the group years and years ago. You can too. Just go to AMAC.us or call 888-262-2006. AMAC's better. Better for you and better for America. Let's go to your calls. Let's start with Matthew. Hey, Matthew, welcome to the Lars Larson Show on Conspiracy Theory Thursday. What's on your mind? Uh, can you hear me okay? Yes, sir. Five by five. Um, um, I've been through certain court proceedings a lot of my life in different ways, um, but um, I just know this is a fact, kind of across our nation, that when you're in court... There is a certain way to speak. There is a certain things you can and cannot say in yeah. court, or you're held in contempt. And that's for anyone. And Donald Trump should not be excluded from those because of his position or his supposed immunity for anything he's done. And that's mainly the point I have to make, that... Every American citizen has to maintain composure in a court setting. You don't just get to go off. Um, it's called contempt. And yeah, if, if you said that something that constitutes oh. contempt, if you stand in there and swear or you uh, uh, do things like well, that. But in this case, the judge said you have to confine yourself to only speaking about things that are relevant to the trial. Uh, there's a certain amount of that, but I've, I've testified in court. I've never been on trial. Uh, as Trump is on trial right now. But I think he has the right to defend himself any way he wants. And frankly, Matthew, I've heard things testified to in court that didn't necessarily bear directly on the matter that was before the court. So I think the judge could have given him some latitude. Instead, this judge seems so absolutely 
uh, dedicated to the idea of finding Trump guilty that he's not going to give the guy a fair break. Is that do you think I'm I'm right in that? I you know, that's one part where I do agree with you that no judge should say something so short sighted. Um, well, when he I said, I'm not that. here to listen to Donald Trump's answers back when Trump was testifying. Yeah, this judge has showed his very clear bias against Donald Trump. And I don't think the judge wanted Trump to say anything about him. The judge has to worry about reelection as well. So he's telling this guy, he's telling a, a defendant, you can't speak whatever it is you think that would defend you in this case. Matthew, thanks for the call. Back in just a moment, you're listening to The Lars Larson Show. Go to the head of the line at the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. Glad to be with you and always glad to get to your calls. And I'll do that in just a moment. I want to talk to our friend Elaine Parker, who's president of the Job Creators Network Foundation, because, Elaine, the brand new CPI numbers have come out. And I looked at them and I thought, well, this doesn't sound too good when inflation is seems to be on its way back up again, despite promises a full two and a half years ago from Joe Biden, the guy who created Bidenomics, that, oh, this inflation stuff, it's temporary. It'll go away. It doesn't seem to be. Welcome back, by the way, ma'am, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Lars. Thanks so much for having me. And, and you're absolutely right. Inflation is increasing once again and destroying the narrative uh, that Bidenomics is working. Uh, headline costs are at record highs. Core costs are at record highs. Food costs are at record highs. Fuel costs are on the rise again. And shelter is booming. And it's causing a cost of living crisis. And Americans are falling behind again. Bidenomics is not working. And everyday ordinary Americans and small businesses are suffering in this economy. Now, you know, the standard answer for a Democrat in the White House is, well, we'll go to Congress and get them to shovel out some more cash, which will make the problem worse in the long term. But in the short term, it'll provide some relief, except that doesn't sound like it's an option for Joe Biden about now. No. And the and the only way to solve this problem, I mean, the Fed has been very aggressive over the last, uh, you know, 12 to 15 months in increasing interest rates, painfully aggressive and, and credit is dried up for small businesses Interest rates are at record high, you know, not record highs, but are very high for new cars and homes as a result. And there's only so much that the Fed can do. And the the government, the, the Congress and the president has to stop the reckless spending um, to get this uh, inflation under control and help everyday ordinary Americans. We all have to tighten our budgets. We all have to cut costs in our household. People are doing it. I mean, the jobs report that came out last week shows that a record number of people have taken on second jobs just to make ends meet. The government needs to take a lesson from everyday ordinary Americans that we're all cutting, we're all cutting costs. We're all trying to save money. We're all trying to uh, make ends meet. And I think the Biden administration could take a lesson from all of us. Well, see, and I'm wondering, I wondered about that number because a week ago, Elaine, I was telling my audience, you said, oh, look at this, all these jobs created. And I said, except the country lost, if I remember right, one and a half million full-time jobs and added a record number of part-time jobs. You're suspecting or your data shows 
that those part-time jobs are going more to people who said, I can't make it on my full-time job, so I'm going to take on a part-time job in addition to my full-time job. That's why we saw that big increase. Yeah, all those numbers are correct. And, yes, we are seeing um, a record high number of people take on second jobs um, to make ends meet. And not only that, in addition to the 1.5 million full-time people leaving the workforce, um, nearly 700,000 people left the labor force altogether. So the labor force participation rate went down. And when they, when they, they also have revised um, the uh, no, October and November jobs down again, and that's 10 out of 11 months of revisions for 2023. So basically 450,000 jobs le- created, less jobs created for the entire year of 2023. I mean, those are substantial. And mo- many of the jobs, 60% of the jobs created in 2023 were government jobs or quasi-government. So um, in other words, expanding month. the government and spending more money that way, which just, I would assume, drives inflation even higher. Well, they're unproductive jobs. I mean, they're, they're, ta- they're taxpayer-funded That's jobs. Yeah. That, 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 you know, they're not, it's not the free market. It's not businesses creating these jobs. It's government creating the jobs. On average, in 2023, the government created 56,000 jobs a month. We, that's that's un- unsustainable. No, it, it's not, especially what I meant by that is that if you go to work for a private sector company, presumably that company is saying, we're going to pay Elaine $100,000 a year because we know her presence here at the company will generate 150000 or 200000 or a million dollars a year. Most businesses don't say we're going to add somebody to the workforce, uh, even though we're going to we're not going to make any more money from that unless it's just a short term phenomena. They they have to make sure that every single job they add or every single position they add actually generates more revenue for the company, either short term or long term, because otherwise you're right. It's not sustainable. Exactly. And uh, the last time I checked, the government doesn't generate revenue, not a single job in the government generates revenue. Um, and many of those government jobs that were created are the IRS agents that we've heard so much about that are being hired to harass our small business owners. And they are doing that as well. Is there anything else in the inflation numbers that would indicate that, well, that it's going to pop up a little bit? Because if it continues to increase as we head towards summer, what in the world is the White House going to do? Because they're, they're intent on selling voters this is working. And it seems that all the evidence from their own administration is saying this ain't working. Well, I, I mean, the the American people know it's not working. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, our, our Job Creators Network uh, Foundation poll that we do of small business owners every month uh, shows that uh, small business owners' economic confidence is at historic lows. Their top concern is small is is inflation, um, and two thirds of the respondents say that the price increases that their businesses are experiencing are actually higher than what's being officially reported. And then, if you look at just all of the polls under uh, for Biden's economic polling with Americans in general, everyday ordinary Americans, not just small business owners, I mean, every single one of them, he's in the tank. Um, and underwater on uh, it, it's, you know, whether it's the Pew poll finds that only 36 percent say that Biden makes good decisions about economic policy. Financial Times poll finds that only 14 percent of Americans say they're better off financially than when Biden took office. And 78 percent on a Fox poll says that Americans are worse off than one year ago. Americans see exactly what's happening. 
they know Bidenomics isn't working and they're suffering under it. I'm talking to Elaine Parker, who's president of the Job Creators Network. Now, you, you agreed to an interview with a real nerd who loves to dry, dive into the details. I want to ask you about one more thing that I thought was very strange. And tell me if I'm right on the numbers. That, that while corporate America has been getting bashed right and left by, dem, by politicians, most of them Democrats, who say, yeah, it's the big companies that are just cleaning up. I saw a number the other day that said, in general, prices are up, say, 17%. But producer costs are up 18%, meaning that to some extent, big companies have actually not raised their costs as much as their costs have gone up. So in other words, they're absorbing some of this, either short term or long term. Should that say something to Americans when they hear politicians say, this is all just greedy corporations? Well, I mean, look, that's a great talking point for politicians to use about big companies um, the reality is is that big companies can absorb that a lot easier without having to pass it on to consumers. Uh, eventually, they have to, or or they start shedding jobs. The bigger companies right. start shedding jobs. Um, small businesses don't have, uh, you know, first of all, their first option isn't to shed jobs because usually they they have a small workforce. Um, they don't have extra people sitting around like big corporations may have that they could shed jobs, and they, they it's very hard for them to pass on. Um, the the price increases to their consumers because their consumers are so price sensitive and they're usually working on such uh, small margins. Um, so, I, I, you know, you can you can interpret that that data in any way, you know, in a d- bunch of different ways. I interpreted it that large businesses simply can absorb those um, price increases a lot easier than small for, business. For a while, right? But for... Yes. But, but, but I mean, I think... If I go to the grocery store and I know their margins, their profit margin is like 2% these days, it used to be maybe 3 If If a grocery store sees its cost or a grocery chain sees its cost go up by 10 and they don't pass along the full 10, they just cut, you know, if they p- take an extra percentage point, that means that their 2% margin now becomes 1%. And, and that doesn't sound like it's sustainable for very long at all, even if you're Walmart and you're really a giant corporation. Elaine, I appreciate the time as always, and I also appreciate what the Job Creators Network Foundation does. We'll look forward to talking to you uh, in a month. Maybe we'll get some better news, and maybe Joe Biden will get bad news as well. Thank you so much. Thanks, Lars. You betcha. That's Elaine Parker. Now, I want to get to your calls in the next segment, and I want to tell you about this. The government wants to increase taxes, but they actually don't even know where the money is going. I'm going to give you two really good examples, and one of them is about a young lady who stole $100 million from the U.S. Army, and the Army never even found out about the theft. It had to be found out by the IRS. We'll talk about that, too. You've got the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. Are you looking for more in this world? Exercising the right to free speech every day. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. I'm going to go to your calls in a moment, but I promised you this. The federal government wants to increase taxes, but doesn't even know where its money is going. And the latest two examples to come to my attention, one of them is from uh, Ukraine. The other one is from the U.S. Army in Texas, of all places. But 
Let me tell you about Ukraine first. The U.S. government, according to its own audits, the inspector general, has failed to properly track more than $1 billion worth of weapons and military devices sent to Ukraine. Newsmax had the story. The Defense Department's Office of the Inspector General, which is the watchdog in every federal agency that's supposed to keep an eye on this kind of nonsense, they released the report today. They said that shoulder-fired missiles, kamikaze drones, and night vision devices intended to be sent to Ukraine Failure to track the arms and equipment raises concerns they might have been stolen or even smuggled. By law, almost 40,000 weapons should have been closely monitored because of their sensitive technology. And guess what? The complaint I've been making since the beginning of the Ukraine war. You are sending tens of billions of dollars into a notoriously corrupt country like Ukraine. You're also sending a lot of high-tech weapons into a notoriously corrupt country like Ukraine. What could possibly go wrong? So the inspector general says the report says the potential loss is about $1 billion of the nearly $1.7 billion worth of weapons that have been sent since June of last year. It's only been over six months, and they've lost two-thirds of the, or lost track of two-thirds of the weapons that have been sent, one billion out of 1.7 billion. That's not exactly a great batting average. Second item, this has to do with a woman in Texas. And what's really strange, her name is Janet Yam- Yamanaka Mello. She's 57 years old, and she apparently stole, I kid you not, allegedly stole $100 million in money from the U.S. Army. And believe it or not, she wasn't stealing weapons money or ammunition money or uniform money. She was stealing out of a program that was supposed to provide 4-H services. You heard me right, 4-H, meaning, you know, 4-H clubs in my high school or your high school. There's a program to help out the families of service members who are doing their duty, right? She managed to steal, uh, allegedly, $100 million. She was writing checks and saying that she was providing services through a business called Child Health and Youth Lifelong Development. Now, the fact that the Army didn't even detect this apparent theft, it went on for seven years. And you know what finally lit this up and identified Janet Yamanaka Mello? Again, she's accused of doing this. I know she has a right to her day in tri- and day in court. She was making uh, a little over a hundred thousand dollars a year, but she was buying multi-million-dollar private homes for herself several times a year for seven years. She owns thirty homes. Some of them are worth several million dollars. Some of them are worth just under a million dollars. And finally. The IRS, which supposedly has all these extra agents that Joe Biden has put on board because the Democrats thought, well, they need 87,000 new agents. It took them that long to figure out, to ask a couple of questions and make an inquiry about a woman making just over $100,000 a year who is buying several several million dollar plus homes every single year. Now, look, a, a 10th grader could figure that out. You know, if you worked it as a story problem in math and said, 
Janet only makes $130,000 a year, which means she can probably afford a mortgage of about three or $4,000 on a house that she wants to live in on that kind of gross salary. She might afford 5000 at most. Um, she's buying multi-million dollar homes, a million dollar home, especially in today's interest rates. But even back when it was 3%, a million dollars a mortgage is going to cost you about six grand a month. Maybe, maybe get it down to five grand in lower interest times. So a woman who's only bringing home about $10,000 a month gross before taxes is out buying homes where the mortgage alone, two mortgages in one of those million dollar houses would eat up her entire paycheck. And it finally takes the IRS to figure out, Hey, she seems to be buying a lot of houses she can't actually afford. I wonder where the money's coming from. Well, now they believe that a hundred million of it came straight from the U.S. Army, and the U.S. Army didn't even detect a loss. Let's go to Tim in Tacoma, listening on one of our great affiliates, KVI. Hey, Tim, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Well, back to earlier, you were talking about the transgenderism and all the propaganda around it, and I believe you've missed the boat with one key example of what is very typical. Um, very typical. Look at Jazz Jennings from the Lifetime Show. I am Jazz. Yep. She is now of college age. Last time I watched, she's going to Harvard. Right. Think about the, yep. Yeah, uh, and kudos to her. She's wicked smart. But um, the purely psychotic and psychopathic nature of her mother came out last year when they were talking about um, an apparatus she has to use for the uh, open wound that's continually trying to heal itself. And her mother basically said, you know, if you're not going to use your dilator, I'll force that thing in for you. Oh, my God. I mean, these parents are unhinged. And then look at Jazz herself. She's gained huge amounts of weight, eating problems due to depression. She's questioning now her sexual orientation, finding that she, being biologically a boy, born a boy, is now starting to like girls. This girl, I feel bad for Jazz. I feel terrible for Jazz. She never deserved any of this. But her mother put her into this, I think, what, they started at age four? And, they, and she started doing YouTube videos and became very, very popular, right? I haven't followed her career closely, but I know that about her. I've, I've not actually been a fan of the show or following it closely, but I've checked in from time to time because when I heard about the show and fig figured out what the premise was, I knew that this was a ticking time bomb that was going to basically expose the whole thing for what it really is. And unfortunately for Jazz, I was right. Unbelievable. Uh, well, and and the, 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 the personal tragedy for that young man who, you know, allegedly became a woman, as you said, is now questioning sexuality and all that. The terrible thing is when society participates in these bizarre fantasies and says, we're going to force you to go along with it. We're going to we're going to tell you that if you say a word otherwise, you know, if you call this Jazz Jennings by a male pronoun, if you won't give us money from Medicaid and other government programs to accommodate this. And now, I don't know if you heard or not, but last week we mentioned that now the state of California has approved illegal aliens for the state's Medi-Cal program, which is Medicaid at the state level, and uh, they've oh, decided no. that illegal aliens who want to get a sex change operation uh, and, and take, the, uh, take the hormones and get the surgery and all that are going to be paid for by the American taxpayers. I mean, there are so well, many are, things wrong with it, you can't believe it. Yes, sir. It's worse, it's worse than that, though. So in Washington State, I have a two-year-old toddler. He's, as a matter of fact, today's his second birthday. 
Happy uh, birthday. Preston. Happy birthday, Preston. If you're listening with mommy, sorry about that. Had to. <laughs> <laughs> but in Washington State last year, I believe it was, state legislature passed bills that King Inslee signed that if when my child is of school age, if he makes a comment about how he likes to wear mommy's shoes around the house or, you know, he wonders what it'd be like to be a girl, they think in any, if the sharks taste any blood in the water that they think he'd like to transition, the school could swoop him up, put him through that transition, and I as a parent have no legal rights to stop this. That's right. And in fact, they will effectively, they have effectively made it possible to kidnap that child. And when I say kidnap, if you say, we're going to allow the child to go out and get all this stuff done without mom and dad's knowledge, without mom and dad's sign-off or permission, and if anybody says otherwise, uh, the child will be you know, taken to an undisclosed location and held until the dirty deed is done. Tim, thanks so much. I appreciate the call. Glad to be with you on a Thursday, 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Coming up, where we've got in, uh, legislation to cap consumer loans at 36%. Sounds good. Maybe not. Paid for. President of less government has a great conspiracy theory. And it, uh, I guess it could sound good on paper, although I don't like the government messing around with what things should cost or what things do cost. I think wage and price controls were a failure of the Nixon administration, and that was more than 50 years ago. So why in the world are U.S. senators introducing legislation to cap consumer loans at the low, low interest rate of only 36 percent? Seton, what's going on here? Well, they're doing it because big banks are asking them to. Um the the we're talking about uh, car title lenders, you know, the payday lenders. We talked about this before. Yep. They, the, 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 it's unfair to look at the APR of a payday lender, which is the annual percentage rate, because the entire concept is to let, borrow the money for very short periods of time. So to make it worth a lender's while, the rate is high if you amortize it out over a year, which is 52 weeks when the loan is usually one. That is a ridiculous way to look at this. Uh, well, can, in, in support of your point, can I make this point? Seton, yes. you probably haven't bounced a check in a while, although given the current economy, who knows? Um, but say, <laughs> not, say, not a bit, say, no, say you NSF a check on Friday night because you're buying $50 worth of groceries for your family and you forgot your paycheck doesn't land till Monday morning. So the bank says, gee, Seton, you NSF 50 bucks and here's a 50, $56 right. fee for that. And you say, why that's a hundred percent interest Damn. rate. Uh, and you say, uh, you, you can't charge that, but banks do that all the time, but they also know you're going to cover it on Monday. And if you were to calculate out that hundred percent over four days, well, let me see, could we, would that be 10,000% over a year? Because that's right. Yeah, I think so. The, so the, you'd the say, yearly, the, yeah, the annual amortization never seems to apply to banks except for their credit cards. Um, and, and by the way, while writing this, something occurred to me, another angle of cronyism, cause you know how it is. You've written stuff before you start out thinking you're writing about X and then your research as you write leads you to write about Y. Yep. Well, I was already had enough information to write about X, which is what I started, 
But something occurred to me during, and I'm going to write about this in greater detail uh, in a couple of weeks. The one of the biggest scams I've ever heard of is if you earn your money, put it in your bank account, and use your debit card to the tune of a million dollars a month, your credit rating doesn't go up because your debit card activity is not uh, referred to the credit rating bureaus. You wow. to, to increase your credit rating, you have to borrow money on your credit card from the bank. So in other words, if you're using your credit card as a debit card, and a lot of the cards are both, but you use it as a debit card because you're trying to be responsible, and you go out right. and you put you know all these purchases on, and you pay them off at the end of every month, and you think, well, gee, I'm doing great. Because you're not even paying the, it off. You have the money. Yeah, you have the money that therefore they're not going to give you any credit for that kind of responsible use of money? You get zero. No, no, you get zero. And another way they work against the debit card and you having your own money, if your debit card is stolen or used fraudulently, you don't immediately get the money back. You get the money in six months or a year, maybe if the bank successfully recovers it from whoever stole it. With a credit card, you you aren't responsible for the fraudulent charges, nope. and you they immediately rush you another card. Well, so in fact, that's that's why an awful lot of my up. purchases, Seton. I mean, personally, I put a lot of stuff on an American Express card. I like them because you do have to pay them off at the end of every month, and I run everything through there. And then if I have a dispute, I don't very often, but if I say, hey, I didn't do that, you call Amex and they say, you're right, you didn't do that, that's not your problem. But well, if I were to use my debit card, they, they'd zap right. me, right? That's right. And, and, and that's pretty much every card. I've, I, I get 2% cash back on one card. I won't give them credit because my interest rate is still 22% with an 800 credit score. <laughs> but... But I won't give. But I run everything through, I can through that because I get the two percent back, right? Yeah. And but and it's a credit card, so if I've had a fraudulent charge or two in you know fifteen years, and they've fi- fixed it and okay. immediately. But again, but with a debit card, when you have it's your money, you have the money. You get no credit boost for it, and if you get it stolen, you are you don't get it refunded probably ever. So what is the what's the game that that Congress is playing by saying let's cap they're all funneling consumer funneling everything to the big banks and their credit cards. That's what they're doing. They're funneling all financial transactions to the big banks and their credit cards. That's what they're doing. And that's because I listed I listed the 2024 election cycle political contributions and lobbying expenditures of the top 6 banks in the US. And they're all over two million just in this cycle, and a couple of them are over three million. Hey, just I, in this I, I want to ask you about the payday loan and and the car title loan, yes. folks, because I'd like some more data. I I have a friend who passed away of cancer a number of years. He was a stringer photographer, and he had to buy his own video gear. And I said, "Geez, how do you how do you get that? It's like thirty five back there in the day, thirty five forty thousand dollars." He goes, "I go to I forget the name of the outfit, and I, and I knew what it was." I go, well, that's one of those, you know, high interest loan things. And he says, yeah, it's like 25% or 30%, uh, which is what credit cards are now. He said, that's my incentive to pay it off quickly. And he said, I always do. And I said, so you're knowingly borrowing at a very high rate. He said, because they will give me credit and everybody else won't give me 35 right. or 40. 
And but but he used it, but he knew what it was going to cost. He knew he had to pay it back fast. And they always characterize that everybody goes to a, a car title loan outfit or a payday loan outfit is getting trapped in the cycle of debt. I mean, it's like they use the same talking points every time. Which on this. is highly ironic, considering in August of last year, we surpassed one trillion dollars of credit card debt in the country. And those that's people a, are trapped that's not as well. Trapped in a cycle of debt. Yeah, that's not well. And and that's debt. before we get to the U.S. debt in the Congress. But but is it true that the vast majority? I mean, or is it true that the vast majority of people who take out a short-term payday loan are people who understand what they're borrowing, why they're doing it, why why it's necessary, and they pay well, it we back? We can't quickly. have the government. You and I both agree on the world our worldview. The government's not babysitting us. I don't want them to babysit us. And the cost of them babysitting us is far greater than a couple of us making mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. I make credit And that's what I want to know is what percentage are people who actually kind of get trapped and what percentage are people who say, I need new tires on my truck. I have to have it for work. I borrowed $800. I'm going to have and it And you're paid. right. And, the, and these big banks don't loan to these people. They have bad no. credit. They have low income. And these banks won't even lend to them. But they don't want anyone else lending to them. It's like a, a scorned, you know, scorned lover. I don't. I don't. I want, want them, the industry. I, I want, want that payday. I want the payday loan folks to give me the data because I'm willing to get the bet. We've got the data that we could use to go back and and push Congress right over the edge of the cliff, which is where they belong. Anyway, you got the Lars Larson. The Lars Larson Show. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. This is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly provocative talk radio. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. Lars. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. No, here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette. And my cat, Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm glad to get to your phone calls and emails. i got to tell you, there's some new information that has come out about what Nancy Pelosi and the FBI, an agency that I think is so thoroughly corrupt, I wouldn't trust them for the weather or the time of day. But let me get into that in just a moment. First, welcome to the best conversation in talk journalism. It happens right here every day at 866-HEY-LARS, and you can join in. If you're a naysayer, we're going to put you first in line at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And if you would, vote in our X poll. We used to call it Twitter poll. Now it's the X poll. Does posting doorbell camera pictures of porch pirates violate their privacy? As Canadian police are now claiming, I find this story absolutely fascinating. I mean, it's not bad enough that we had mobs of people in America and other places saying defund the police. It's not enough that the police forces have been diminished. It's not enough that prosecutors won't prosecute. Judges won't convict. Prisons won't hold bad guys. But now we've got the police, in this case in Quebec, who are telling citizens that if they catch video of a thief stealing packages off their front porch, that they should not post the surveillance footage of the packages. Now, when I first saw this story, I thought, well, maybe they're going to tell them that they want the opportunity to catch the bad guy. No, here's the reason. 
they're worried about what the Canadian police, the Quebec police, the Surat uh, Quebec, I, I think is the way you say it, Surat. Um, I don't speak French, thank God. But uh, I, I once thought about buying a French rifle. It had never been fired and only dropped once, but I didn't. Um, but they're worried about the private life of the porch pirates. They say, quote, you cannot post the images yourself because you have to remember, in Canada, we have a presumption of innocence and posting that picture could be a violation of the private life. That is the quote from Lieutenant Benoit Richard, who's the SQ communications officer. Can you imagine an idea any more cockamamie than that? And in fact, it reminds me, every once in a while, I get a phone call from somebody saying, Lars, you can't have an opinion on the guilt or innocence of this person or that person because we have presumption of innocence. You know, there's a problem with people watching courtroom dramas on TV or watching a movie or two. Presumption of innocence is a concept inside the courtroom and in the just system. It does not mean that you or I cannot look at a criminal circumstance, a criminal case, and say, you know what, I think that guy is guilty. You have every right in the world to form an opinion. Do you know who can't form that opinion? The judge is not allowed to be biased against the accused. The jury is not allowed to be biased against the accused. And in fact, it means that the entire court system is supposed to look at criminal defendants and give them presumption of innocence until proved guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. But it's a, it's an idea that really only has meaning inside a courtroom in front of a jury before a judge or at the appeals courts. For the rest of us, we can decide I think that person's guilty. Now, if you own one of these ring doorbells or cameras or you have a camera on your front porch and some porch pirate has been making off with your Amazon Prime deliveries or your UPS or FedEx boxes, you have every right in the world to post that video. And in fact, I hope it does invade somebody's private life. If your private life is stealing packages off somebody else's porch, I hope your picture Unfortunately, too many of the porch pirates wear disguises or wear a ball cap and sunglasses or a mask. I mean, that alone, the fact that you're running up on somebody's porch in good weather with a balaclava over your face ought to tell everybody you're up to something that's illegal and immoral and no good. But the fact that the police are more concerned in Canada uh, than they about criminals than they are about the citizens who are the victims of those criminals. That ought to outrage just about everybody. And I hope that the Surette Québécois in Quebec are getting all kinds of blowback from citizens. In fact, I hope they post pictures even more. In fact, I hope that every porch pirate lives in fear of having his or her picture. And it seems to be kind of a uh, 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 it's it's a uh, crime that does not seem to be just men or predominantly men. There are men and women who steal these packages. And if they end up with their picture posted on the Internet with a picture of them actually committing the crime on camera, then all the better that the rest of the public is given fair warning about what happens. Does posting doorbell camera pictures of porch pirates violate their privacy, as the Canadian police are claiming, if I hear of any American police department that's giving a similar warning, I'm going to have the same reaction. 
They shouldn't be doing it either. In fact, what they should be doing is encouraging people. Put the pictures up there. And if they happen to catch a picture of the automobile that they jumped out of before they stole the package off your porch, keep that up there as well. And all this concern about the private life of porch pirates, my goodness, Canada, what is going wrong up there? Now, in yesterday's uh, question, our, our X question, should American schools be off limits to house Joe Biden's illegal alien invasion? You probably heard the story. We talked about it on this show about the couple of thousand New York school kids who are told you can't go to James Madison High tomorrow in Brooklyn because we've taken over the school and we're going to house illegal aliens there during bad weather for at least a night. Get ready for this. I think we're going to see more of it this year. I said, should those schools be off limits as housing for Joe Biden's illegal aliens? Uh, 94% of you said yes. Only 6% of you said no to that question. Today's X poll is brought to you by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. AMAC has the conservative values I believe in, so I joined almost a decade ago. Just go to amac.us to join or call 888-262-2006. AMAC's better, better for you and better for America. A shout out to our friends in Sedalia, Missouri, who listen to great talk radio all day on KSIS. That's AM 1050. And you can hear my show there as well, Monday through Friday. Glad to have you on board and glad to take your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. I want to give you uh, the details that the Daily Signal rolled out. I'll remind you that now almost three years ago, uh, January 6, 2021, we're more than three years from the date. But at that time, when the Capitol riot happened, the FBI had given warning to the Capitol Police. So we wondered, why didn't the Capitol Police act on that? Well, Nancy Pelosi, at the time, was the person who was in charge of the Capitol Police as House Speaker. Here's what they've discovered at uh, Daily Signal. We believe there were easily 200 FBI undercover assets operating in the crowd outside the Capitol, embedded in the groups that entered the Capitol or provoked the entry of the Capitol. That's Representative Clay Higgins of Louisiana. Based on the evidence he's reviewed, Higgins said FBI assets worked with the local Washington, D.C. Metro Police and U.S. Capitol Police. The assets were dressed as supporters of then-President Donald Trump inside the Capitol because these were the guys that knew their way around the Capitol. As a member of Congress, Higgins says it's unbelievable that everyday Americans in D.C. would know how to navigate that building without help. Back in a moment, you got the Lars Larson show. Because you like what you hear, right? Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. As you can probably tell from listening in the last couple of days, I found one of the most outrageous stories this week was the news that New York City in the uh, borough of Brooklyn had decided, you know, the infinite wisdom of the collective intelligence known as the New York City government said, hey, we have a bunch of illegal aliens who aren't even supposed to be in America, and their tent blew down. Uh, I thought it was an athletic field, actually. It's an unused airport. And so why don't we just kick all the kids out of a fairly major high school in Brooklyn, and we'll let the illegal aliens make that their home, at least for the night. 
And I said, this is, this is not a good thing. It is not a right thing, and it shouldn't be happening at all. In fact, we made it last night's Twitter poll or X poll. Uh, Terry Schilling joins me now, who's the president of the American Principles Project. Terry, welcome back. Thanks so much for having me, Lars. Love coming on. Uh, are we going to see, before we get to the particulars of what happened in Brooklyn, is this something that we're going to see more of the way Elon Musk has suggested when they run out of hotels to rent or buy, the government will start putting illegals in your kid's school, and when they run out of those, they're going to come for your home. Is that where we're going? That's exactly where we're going, and I, and I don't think it'll even stop there. We have people in power in this country right now that have no limits, that have no boundaries, they have no shame. Right? They're, they are put, they're taking our kids out of schools. They, they shut them down, the schools, and shut kids out of classrooms for two years in some states. Yep. These are people that hate us. They want to destroy this country. Why are we paying? I went to Boston for a funeral. This isn't just happening in, in New York. It's happening nope. in every major city. I was in Boston a few months ago for a funeral. I had to pay $500 a night for a hotel room because all of the illegal immigrants were taking up all the other hotel rooms. And they're paying, being paid for by the city, by the taxpayers. And you know they're not getting a discount. Who, what the heck is happening in this country? Who's well, allowing this? Who's doing it? And Terry, you know that that mechanism of jacking up the prices of hotel rooms. Um, I don't know what happened to Los Angeles. I mean, in fact, you and I might have talked about the Los Angeles proposal, where they said we're going to hand out vouchers, and every single hotel toward the end of the day, after all the regular guests have checked in, are required to uh, hand over any of their extra rooms, and we'll put anybody we want in there. And I remember at the time saying. You know, when I check into a hotel, they want picture ID and a credit card, and I have to pay for anything that gets broken or abused in that room while I'm staying the night, so I'm very careful. But an illegal alien who's told, yeah, you're going to go down and check in at the, you know, whatever it is, which nice hotel it is that has five extra rooms, they're going to be right down the hallway from you, and we know exactly zero about them. And and that seems like no. a recipe for trouble. It is. It, it's an absolute... But I think it's by design. No decent person, no person with two brain cells to rub together would, would do this stuff, right? And, it's, it, and think about what they're doing with this high school. They're bringing a bunch of strange people that we have no clue about that are most likely criminals that these countries are sending up to us to get them out of their country. They're putting them in our kids' schools. Does no one see the potential for danger there? What if some of them hide out in the, in the, in the school somewhere and cause violence? Or how are they going to get every single one of the illegal immigrants in this school out of it? These are places for our children, the most vulnerable people in our in our society, and we're we're feeding them to the wolves. And this is just one area where we're endangering our children. It's it's enraging. And if you aren't if you aren't mad right now, if you aren't ready to change how you vote and the new and put new people in power, I don't know what to tell you. You're you're gonna die soon. Like the, these people don't care about your safety or your well being. These are evil people that hate you. Wake up. Well, and Terry, to your point. I understand that if after, say, Hurricane Katrina or if there was a major earthquake, uh, you know, in California, that you might say, well, schools in neighboring communities will take in fellow Americans who will be given shelter for a night or two or a week or whatever it takes to get us through our emergency. But this is a self-imposed emergency that was created exclusively by Joe Biden and refused to be acted on by his Democrat buddies on Capitol Hill. 
Right. And, and, and here's how, here is the ultimate tell for how you know that all the COVID concerns and the new infectious disease concerns that they've been bringing up for the year, oh, past God. several years is yeah. all garbage. Is because are they testing these people for diseases? Are they making them wear masks? Are they doing anything to make sure that they're not bringing diseases or, or problems here? No, they're not. They're more restrictive against U.S. citizens, taxpayers, and the people that are actually helping sustain and restore this country than they are the people that are coming here and destroying it. it right is wrong, and wrong is right today. We were warned about these times. They're coming, and they're here. By the way, Terry, one of the thoughts I had about this was they said as of this morning, well, they're cleaning up the school uh, so that the kids can go back to the school. So you've got the extraordinary cost of calling in a crew big enough to clean a school that was sufficiently big for 2,000 students. I can't even wrap my head around what that might have cost to say, get in here and clean the school top to bottom, having had the illegals there the night before. And I know there are people out there saying, well, Lars, you're characterizing the uh, you know illegal aliens as dirty people. Well, they're not operating by our standards. You come into somebody else's country without invitation. You then demand food and housing and medical and everything else. And for all we know, somebody brings a little bit of fentanyl in with them because they, you know, because that's one of the, they're coming from one of the primary sources of fentanyl, which is Mexico. They bring some fentanyl into that school and a little bit of powder gets left somewhere in that school and misses the cleaning rag. And then we've got some kid who's overdosed on an opioid. And don't tell me it can't happen. It does. It even happens to cops. You get exposed to a little bit of fentanyl and you're either overdosed or you're dead. And yet they're bringing people into the schools who can do exactly that. And I keep wondering, who is it that decided we are obliged to provide this for people who invaded our country? No, that, that's exactly right, Lars. And, and, and I think that this mindset that you just described, where, where we have to assume the best of complete strangers that we've never met before, that we have no clue about, that we just have to start with the assumption that they're a good person that we can trust, that is utter insanity. We need to be, respect is earned, not given, well, and it's not demanded, right? It, it I, I wanna, is, I, it is dangerous to have that Terry, mindset. I want to ask my producer, Joel, do you have that Nikki Haley soundbite we used earlier today? Because I want to play that for him. Because, Terry, I laid this out to my audience and said, look, there's a very clear choice. Joe Biden has invited now 9 to 10 million illegals. We're on track to put another 3 million in before he leaves office in January of next year. If you choose him again, expect that another... 10 to 12 million illegals will come in in the second term of Joe Biden. That's one choice. The other one is Donald Trump, who yesterday said, uh, we will have the biggest deportation in American history. Those are very clear-cut choices. And yet one of the candidates who I think the establishment Republicans want, do you have that sound by, Joel? Let's go ahead and play Nikki Haley, if we've got it. And if not, well... We'll get to it later. To paraphrase, Nikki Haley said, you understand, these are nice people. They're just looking for a better life. They shouldn't be treated like criminals. Terry, if you enter somebody else's country without permission, you're breaking the law. If you work without permission in this country and you're a foreign national, you're breaking the law. If you identify yourself falsely, you're breaking the law. If you use somebody else's social, you're breaking the law. And yet we've got one of the major candidates. I don't think she's got a prayer of getting the nomination. But Nikki Haley running around saying, oh, no, these people aren't bad people or criminals. Yes, they are. Oh, play the soundbite, would you please, Joel? But let's keep in mind, these people that are wanting to come here, 
they want to come for a better life too. They have kids too. They have a heart too. They, so we don't need to be disrespectful. We don't need to talk about them as criminals. They're not. They're families that want a better life and they're desperate to get here. That's rhetoric coming from an alleged Republican, Terry. Well, no wonder she's not doing better in the polls, right? I mean, yeah. Lars, th these people have no clue why they're floundering and flailing and unable to land a scratch on Donald Trump. It's because Donald Trump, and I would say Vivek, are, are two of the only candidates that actually know what time it is, that know what the enemies of this country are doing right now and what they will do if we don't reclaim power. These, these people, Nikki Haley is clueless. We should not assume that everyone, every stranger we meet is a good person. We should actually be skeptical and distrust strangers. You're not supposed to trust strangers. Don't, you're not supposed to talk to them if you're a child. No, you're not. That's Terry Schilling from the American Principles Project. Terry, thanks very much. you got the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. Just think of him as your concealed carry. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get your calls on a Conspiracy Theory Thursday. And don't forget, we don't name every day of the week, but tomorrow is First Amendment Friday. So if you didn't get a chance to say what you wanted to say, naysayers are welcome that day as well. Glad to have you with me. If you want to jump in, it's 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Neva, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Yes, I'm a longtime listener. I listen every time I'm in my car. Thank um, you. Just earlier, you had someone talking about credit cards and, and how your credit report is working. Yeah. And so I, I wanted to tell you that credit unions are more forgiving and more friendly. The big banks are not. I have a credit union, and last January, my uh, great-grandson stole some money from my bank account Ouch. in my room, like five feet from my head, when I was sleeping. And my credit union was so friendly. They were so helpful, and they gave me my, my money back that same day. Yeah, I have good things to say about credit unions as well, Neva. Thank you very much for the call. Let's go to Jerry in Wisconsin. Jerry, you're going to liven things up tonight? What's on your mind? Yeah, uh, Lars, you were talking about the supposed uh, 200 FBI informants uh, who was, like, egging on people. And supposedly this is what Clay Higgins, Representative Clay Higgins said. Okay. Yeah. Well, if there was 200 FBI informants, especially egging on, egging on the crowd, name one. So I have Higgins name one. Name one person. Jerry, can I tell you this? I've watched some of the testimony on Congress, uh, <sighs> before Congress, when Chris Ray, the head of the FBI, was brought up in question. One. Hold on, Jerry. Would you like to hear some information or you just want to keep interrupting? Uh, okay. So Chris Ray is brought up before Congress and he's asked, did you have people on Capitol Hill that day uh, undercover, not in uniform anyway? And he said, yeah. And they said, okay, how many did you have? 
And Chris Ray testified under oath to the U.S. Congress, and he ought to know he's the head of the FBI. He said, we don't know how many we had. And they said, hold on. You had people working undercover in plain clothes on Capitol Hill in the crowd on January 6th, and you don't know how many there were? Well, then they didn't know the names of all those people either. So if you if you say, Lars, you're, you're, hold on, let me finish. You can keep repeating that same line, Jerry. But what I'm telling you is the head, the head of the FBI has testified to Congress under oath, under penalty of perjury, that the FBI had undercover people working in the yeah. crowd that day. So if you say, well, but I'm going to say, what was the name of the person? You know that the people were there because the head of the FBI who runs the okay. agency confirmed that for the U.S. Congress. Is that okay. not good enough? Yeah, you know, there please, would be police and FBI informants at an Antifa rally or any place where there's violence. But this idea that they led violence... How, there was, okay, how did they know there was... No, no, no hold on, Jerry. Jerry, true. you hit on something important. Name. How did they know there would be it's violence that day? Yeah, why, it doesn't matter what the name was. Jerry, I realize you're a tried-and-true liberal. You call the show every once in a while, every few months. But when the head of the FBI confirms there were undercover agents no, working... No, no, no. That's what do you like mean, no? That's like blaming Antifa violence. No, let me finish. That's like blaming Antifa violence if there's FBI agents or FBI informants during a rally with Antifa, actual rally with Antifa. You can't say, well, it's the FBI's fault. No, it was Antifa's fault. The FBI well, do it, hold on, Trump Jerry. Jerry, Trump will you listen it. for just one moment? If If a law enforcement agency says we want to have people there to observe that's one thing but when those people actually actively took a role in entering the building Ill you don't any, even any you know jerry i can tell you name. don't want to hear any you of this have, because it runs against your talking points so i'll tell you what i'll do it without you jerry because i was glad to do it with you but when the head of the fbi says yes we had people there working undercover in the crowd pretending to be part of the Donald Trump support crowd, right? When they are in there egging on and agitating the crowd, that is creating the very situation that Nancy Pelosi, and I believe the Capitol Police as well, they wanted to create that situation. And if you say, Lars, that's a crazy theory, why would they want to create a riot on January 6th? Why would they want a tiny fraction of the entire crowd. The crowd was estimated 50 to 100,000 people. They charged a total of 1,200 people with being in the building. Some of them were charged even though they weren't even in Washington, D.C. that day. There were people who were charged. There were people who were charged who never entered the Capitol building. And you say, why would they want to create that kind of scene? A scene of violence, a scene of property destruction, a scene that could be said, well, you know, there was a lot of trouble there. Why would Joe Biden want to say five cops died on January 6th, which is a bald-faced lie, to say that Brian Sicknick was murdered by the January 6th people? He died of natural causes the next day, according to the Washington, D.C. medical examiner, which, I mean, he works for a liberal government. I think we can trust that. 
And there was no pushback saying, no, he didn't die of natural causes. Nobody said, let's get another autopsy. Uh, his family, the government, the government could have said, we think the D.C. medical examiner is wrong, that he died because of things that happened to him on January 6th. No, he died on January 7th of a stroke, which sadly, too many Americans die of stroke every single year. It was natural causes. But then go back to the central question that I raised a moment ago. Why would you want trouble on January 6th? And I can tell you why Nancy Pelosi and the Capitol Police, who got warned by the FBI, according to the FBI, the FBI held a press conference three days after January 6th, and they said, we knew there was trouble coming. We warned the Capitol Police. We warned the D.C. Metro Police. Why would Nancy Pelosi want trouble on January 6th? We got the answer a few days later. Nancy Pelosi said, in the days following January 6th, remember, we were only two weeks from the day that Donald Trump would walk out of office as president because of a fake election, but he walked out of office. Why would she want to charge him and impeach him, which they did, based on almost no evidence? And by the way, based on a lot of evidence that we found out later had been held back by the government. When the government said years later, here's some of the video of what happened that day that contradicted the notion that Nancy Pelosi had, that this was an attempted takeover of the government, an insurrection. That was hogwash, and we know it. Now, when you say there was this incident that happened that caused the House of Representatives to impeach a president and try to convict him to bar him from seeking office, and the incident was known that it was going to happen that day, the Capitol Police were warned by the FBI, not by some tipster on a phone. They were warned by the FBI, trouble is coming. And the Capitol Police took no extraordinary actions. They didn't say, we're going to bring in extra security, we're going to set up extra barricades, we're going to make sure the Capitol is locked down tight and that we can defend it because we know, because we've been warned days ahead, that there is trouble coming. Now, when you know all of that, and you say, but why would somebody want to create those circumstances? Because it provided the predicate for bringing an impeachment action unconstitutionally against Donald Trump. When Nancy Pelosi brought that impeachment in the House, they voted based on no evidence whatsoever. And if you tell me, well, members of Congress, they were in the building. You mean like AOC who was sitting in a whole different building but said her life was at risk because the Capitol Police came and actually protected her from nothing that was going on in her building? They wanted this to happen. They knew it was going to happen. Do you think it was just a coincidence that Nancy Pelosi's documentary filmmaking daughter just happened to be in her office with a video crew shooting video on January 6th? And why do you think that was? Because Nancy Pelosi needed a show. And she got a show. And she got an impeachment. And they still can't stop Donald Trump. God bless him. You got the Lars Larson Show. things you wish you could say more.
Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get your phone calls and your emails at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. By the way, I got this email from Kevin, who's a retired mass sergeant uh, who worked with the uh, 142nd Air Wing uh, out of the uh, the airport, uh, the, uh, the National Guard base and Air Force base uh, near where I live. He said, look, for years I've heard you say all men all men are created equal. Some are just more equal than others. Uh, he now lives in Ohio. He said it's becoming more and more true every day in the country I served and protected for 36-plus years. God bless America, signed Kevin. By the way, let me ask you this question. Should an attack by a family over their son's conversion to Christianity be considered a hate crime? It's a story out of Nashville, Tennessee. I would imagine that some of you listening to KWAM, Todd Starnes station, already know this one. But there is a court fight after a Muslim family is now facing charges accused of assaulting a teenage boy. Why? Because he converted to Christianity. Now, you understand that I'm a Protestant Christian, so I've got a dog in the fight. But if somebody tells me, yeah, I grew up as a Christian, but I fell away from it. I say, well, I say, that's too bad. I hope you come back. I hope you come back to Jesus Christ. But if you grow up as a Muslim and you decide to leave the faith, you are considered an apostate. Now, not in America, not yet, but in some parts of the world, if you're an apostate under Muslim law and under the laws of some countries, you uh, the death, the, the penalty for being an apostate is death. The, in this case, out of Nashville, the mother, the father, and older brother of a teenage boy are set to appear in court. A neighbor who wished to remain anonymous says he rarely sees Rawa Kawaji, the mother, John Kadem, the father, and Nick Kadem, the older brother, in the neighborhood. John and Nick Kadem are out on bond after facing domestic assault and bodily injury charges. The mother faces charges of aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. The neighbors all say that because their son wanted to become not a Muslim, but a Christian. The teenage boy is currently with a Christian foster family, and he's said to be doing much better. The neighbor says it's the happiest he's ever seen him, but they say they feel uneasy with the family members out on bond. I'll credit the reporting of WZTV in Nashville. This is where we may be headed. As I mentioned, in some countries under Muslim Sharia law, if you're an apostate and you leave the faith, you got big problems. And in fact, you may end up dead. If we're going to bring honor killings or those these kinds of assaults to our country, I've said before that I think that in large part, Islam, and especially Sharia Islam, is incompatible with a pluralist society like America. By pluralist, I mean you come to America, you want to have a faith and practice your faith, you can do it. Why? Because the founders of this great country, all of them Christians, believe that you should be allowed as an American citizen to practice whatever faith you believe in, or sadly, no faith at all. You want to be an atheist? You can be an atheist. You want to be an agnostic? You can be an ag agnostic. You want to be Muslim or Christian or Jewish? You are allowed to do any of those, and it is your choice. That is the standard they set up in the U.S. Constitution. They also did something, and I think it's worth noting, probably a lesson that your kids won't get in public school, but wouldn't it be interesting to ask, have your kids ask a teacher about this, what did the Founding Fathers believe as Christians? And if the teacher says, well, they weren't all Christians, say, 
Name one of the founding fathers who is not a Christian. And then consider that they wrote a constitution that said there shall be no religious test for public office. Now, the Christian fathers, uh, Christian founding fathers of this country could have very easily said, we're going to set up a country, and if you want to hold public office, you want to be elected as president or senate or house or state legislature or governor or dog catcher, you have to be a Christian as well. They did not do that. They actually said, we will forbid that. We won't let you do that. And I think that was the right way to go. You want to come to your faith as a Christian? You come voluntarily. You don't come because you're forced there. Islam, depending on where you live, may be a bit different than that. I also want to bring up this story because I had a kind of a punchy reply to it. Terrible criminal act that took place in Houston, Texas, at a big shopping mall called the Galleria. And it was so ugly that when folks said, this is what happened there, and I'll describe what happened, but uh, they said, what should the punishment, you know, what would solve this problem? And I said, a rope and a bullet. Somebody else suggested that it would be a wood chipper. A former employee of the Galleria, this is from Fox News in Houston, a former Galleria employee was arrested and charged for recording the sexual assault, this is so ugly, of two toddlers involving at least six men. Arthur Hector Fernandez III, 29 years old, an adult man, is charged with the sexual exploitation of children after the FBI said videos were found on a forum on the dark web by the Australian Center to Counter Child Exploitation. We didn't even find it from American, uh, you know, uh, people hunting down child predators. And if you wonder why, I'd say take a close look at Joe Biden. And then consider that the former president of the United States, and I think the next and future president, Donald Trump, was the guy who signed landmark legislation to track down and prosecute people involved in child exploitation, sexual exploitation, child trafficking. He did that. What does Joe Biden do? Joe Biden is about the creepiest character you've ever seen. If you've seen the videos and the still pictures of him nuzzling up to children who are not his children, not his grandchildren. It's disturbing, to say the least. But in describing what they found, in one specific video, FBI documents say that one of the toddler males is seen in what appears to be a public restroom, lying on a changing table, being assaulted by one man, while Fernandez is allegedly the person recording the video. The toddlers were later discovered to be between the ages of two and three years old. Court documents, this is from Fox Houston, say the relative of the first toddler had been called into work at the Galleria on her day off, but did not have time to find care for a young boy. So she brought him to the mall. Fernandez, who also worked at the Galleria Mall at the time, offered to watch the toddler while she worked. This is the only time that Fernandez has been alone with that child. The relative of the second toddler described a similar situation where she brought the young boy to work, couldn't find a babysitter, still had to show up for her job. Fernandez would offer to watch the toddler and walk around the mall with him. And then these poor children were sexually assaulted, not by one man or two, but by six men. And they took video and they posted it on the web. In some ways, I can't think of a penalty bad enough uh, harsh enough for them, unless you go to Florida where there is the death penalty. And in some ways you kind of wish if this had to happen somewhere would be that it could have happened in Florida and put these people to death.
That is the only thing they truly deserve, and it should be done quickly. Glad to be with you. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. You can also uh, call the show, 866-HEY-LARS. Tell Alexa to play the Lars Larson Show, and check out our Instagram feed as well. The Lars Larson Show. This is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly provocative talk radio. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. Lars. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. No, here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Sustainable for our country. We have millions and millions of people here. It is not sustainable. That, of course, is Donald Trump, and he did a little town hall last night while the other candidates for president who don't have a prayer of getting the nomination were holding uh, their own debate in Iowa. Donald Trump was actually using his time productively. And instead of debating the issues, he was making promises that in January of next year, when he becomes president of the United States, and I'm confident that's going to happen, that he has said we will have a massive deportation of illegal aliens. Because to use that liberal progressive term that Trump used, it is not sustainable. And if you've looked around at what's going on in America right now, the disaster in New York City, where they literally evicted thousands of school kids from their own high school to make room for illegal aliens to spend the night in their high school. And you think, is that sustainable? Is it sustainable to have 300,000 people every single day coming across our border? I want to talk about this issue because there's a great example of where this illegal alien problem that for an awful lot of people might seem like kind of a distant issue. You're not an employer who hires illegals and you think, well, it's really not affecting me that much. Let me give you a great example out of Boulder, Colorado. But first, Welcome to the best conversation in talk journalism. And if you want to join in, we always make that easy at 866-HEY-LARS. And for naysayers, those who might disagree with my point of view or my calling illegal aliens what they are, illegal aliens, naysayers go to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. You can uh, send me an email instead, talk at LarsLarson.com. And you can also go vote in our X poll, used to be called Twitter, but you can find it on X at Lars. Larson Show and on our website at LarsLarson.com. But it's definitely not sustainable. Now, you might say, Lars, you've got a dog in the fight on this one because about 50 years ago, a little more than 50 years ago, my mom was killed by a drunk driver. But the drunk driver who killed my mom uh, was not an illegal alien, was an American citizen. And if you say, well, Lars, what difference does it make? The person who killed my mom could not have been removed from the country and kept out of the country because the person who did that deed back then more than 50 years ago was an American citizen. But let me give you an example out of Boulder, Colorado, because this is as ugly as it gets, and it is, in effect, an indictment of all of the policies, both sanctuary state policies, sanctuary city policies, which far too many cities and states have adopted, saying, if we catch an illegal alien committing a crime, we will not 
turn him or her over to ICE. We will not have him turned over for deportation. And this example involves exactly those circumstances. It really brings home what Donald Trump talked about when he came down that escalator in 2015 to announce for president and the liberals ran around like their hairs on fire because one of the most notable things he said in announcing for office was when foreign countries have their illegal alien citizens come into our country without permission, they do not send their best. They send murderers, they send rapists, they send thieves. And we immediately got the response with, well, they're not all criminals. And in fact, I'm going to suggest to you that Nikki Haley, who's running as an alleged Republican, says exactly that. Well, they're not criminals. Well, if you enter somebody else's country illegally, and then you work illegally, and you identify yourself illegally, and then you drive illegally and drive drunk illegally, how many kinds of criminal are you going to be? Example number one, Jose Guadalupe Menjavar Alas, who had been arrested and deported that we know of at least four different times. Arrested, removed from the country, told don't come back. When you are deported from the United States, immigration law in America is very simple. The first time you come in, it is considered a federal civil offense. You get a fine and that sort of thing, and you get booted out of the country. If you've been deported and you come in again, not legally, the second time is a criminal offense. So this guy was at least a criminal under immigration law three different times. But when he came to America, do you know what he liked to do? He apparently liked to drink and drive and drive intoxicated because he had been tagged any number of times for DUI. Guess what happened the last time? He shows up in front of a judge a four times deported illegal alien. He's now been arrested one more time after a string of DUIs. And what does the judge do? Does he turn him over to ICE? No. Colorado is a sanctuary state. Boulder, Colorado, very liberal, is a sanctuary city. So what does the judge do? He cuts him loose. And four days later, a young lady by the name of Melissa Powell and her son Reardon were merely driving down the road and this drunk driving previously deported illegal alien criminal crashes into them. The illegal alien ended up alive. Missy Powell and her son Reardon ended up dead. Now that's where this illegal alien problem comes home. And if you think, well, that'll never happen to me, I'd be willing to bet Melissa Powell and her son Reardon also thought there and their family and friends might have thought this will never happen to us. But Colorado is a sanctuary state. So if you live in a sanctuary state or in a sanctuary city, understand this is the practical result of that. And then I want you to consider this, because we've had it laid out for us very, very clearly. I know that there are people who say, well, deciding who's going to be the next president of the United States for independence, they sometimes say, well, it's kind of a tough choice. Let me make the choice crystal clear. Does anybody doubt what Joe Biden's attitude is toward illegal aliens? He's had nine million of them, according to his Customs and Border Protection, come into this country in the last three years. Nine million in three years. He has not only done nothing to stop it, he's done everything to facilitate it. So who's running against him? Donald Trump? Let me, uh, let me play first a soundbite from Nikki Haley to give you an idea of where alleged Republican Nikki Haley comes down on this issue. Take a but listen to this. Let's keep in mind, these people that are wanting to come here... They want to come for a better life, too. They have kids, too. They have a heart, too. They, so 
We don't need to be disrespectful. We don't need to talk about them as criminals. They're not. They're families that want a better life, and they're desperate to get here. Well, I got to tell you something. Jose Alas was a criminal because he had come back into our country at least three times after being deported. Now, what does Donald Trump promise when he's elected this fall? Because Nikki Haley not only isn't going to get the nomination, she doesn't have a snowball's chance of winning even against somebody like Joe Biden. So what did Trump promise yesterday? We are going to have the largest deportation effort in the history of our country. We're bringing everybody back to where they came from. We have no choice. We have no choice. No, we have no choice, except you have a choice. When that vote comes in November, here are the choices you have. You allow Joe Biden to continue to bring in about a million or no, two million people every single year. It may even be three or four million based on the most recent numbers, 300,000 in just the month of December. Or you can get Donald Trump, stop the border entry and deport millions of illegal aliens. That's a fairly clear cut choice if you ask me. 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. And always guessing what he'll say next. Here's Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. And I'm glad to get to your phone calls and emails. As we say, we promise that this is the best conversation in talk journalism and you can be part of it. And if you want to join that conversation, 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. You can send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com and you, you can rest assured that every single day, naysayers go to the head of the line. Now, sometimes I have to explain that to people. If you disagree with my point of view on something or something I've said, I'm glad to have you call and do your best to counter my arguments. And if I'm not ready for that, then my argument's not ready either. In any case, glad to have you do that. And if you have a moment, go to our website or go to Twitter and vote in our Twitter poll. We put up a brand new question written from the news of the day, so we try to make it as fresh as possible. You'll find it at Lars Larson Show on Twitter or at LarsLarson.com, our website that doesn't suffer from some of the censorship that Twitter likes to do. I want to welcome back to the program our friend Rabbi Yaakov Menken, Managing Director at the Coalition for Jewish Values, the largest rabbinic public policy organization in America. Rabbi, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, we, I want to talk to you about this lawsuit that's been brought uh, by South Africans against Israel and what the prospects for that are. But first I want to ask you, what in the heck is the real story behind this tunnel that everybody's making such a big deal about that was discovered um, you know, uh, near a Jewish synagogue in New York. What's going on there? Because I, for the life of me, I've read as many stories as I can on it. I, I can't still figure out what was that all about. Okay, so 770 Eastern Parkway is the center of the Lubavitch Chabad movement. Now, there is a subgroup within that group that insists 
that one can worship and pray to the Rebbe. Now, that is a, and now Christian belief is obviously if you can pray to a man who was actually the Godhead, but that's yep. not considered a traditional Jewish belief. So right. Chabad has basically locked them out. And this group basically said, we're going to get into the building next door. We're going to smash through a wall in the basement. We're going to creep in and we're going to gain access without, you know, the guys at the door blocking us from coming in. That's really the whole story. They made so it's it into a, a ridiculous thing. There are no tunnels. There are no, right. It's a bunch of miscreants who are largely from Israel, apparently, by the way, who are, you know, creeping in, trying to creep in via another building. And that's the tunnel. It was really a broken down wall. A broken down wall. And I guess it was about two feet by two feet. It wasn't terribly large, but I, I just could. I, and, I, and I heard some references to what you were talking about. They, they still want to they want to somehow memorialize a rabbi who died, what, back in the 1990s? And they want to pray to well, that guy instead of to God? That, that was the last leader of the Chabad movement. And most of the Chabad movement says this was our rabbinic leader. He, he may, in fact, be the Messiah. Who knows? But we're going to wait for that. But as far as prayers, they go to God. This subgroup exactly. well, uh, was actually blocked out for their, uh, for their beliefs, basically. Well, and in fact, you know, Christians are the same way. I mean, I, I, I pray to Jesus Christ, but that is part of, you know, the Godhead. It's, it's, it's God and Jesus, Holy Spirit, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Okay, all three. I mean, even the Catholics somewhat go along with that, that you're not praying to a man, but you're praying to Son of Man, uh, which is Jesus Christ. So, but I just wonder, is, is most of the mainstream media so averse to even reporting on anything that has to do with a religion that even when the, a dispute like this has to do with religion, they won't explain the story? Because I, I must have read a dozen stories from different media and still couldn't figure it out till you just told me. That's basically the, the way it goes. I mean, obviously, a lot of reporters, they just don't understand their own religion, much less any other. So they don't know how to report the story. But this is this is why it's been uh, absolutely blown out of out, out of control, as if the tunnel here had something in common with the tunnels in Gaza, which is just so the, ridiculous. Which is kind of crazy because they can tell you everything about Palestine, a country that's never existed, but they can't explain what's going on in a local religious dispute. So let me ask you about this. Why is South Africa suing Israel? And is anybody going to take this seriously? Well, it's it's racist bigotry, and the problem is, of course, the International Criminal Court is supposed to have credibility. Uh, we are just, it's just completely outrageous. South Africa, for nearly 30 years, abandoned racism in law. Remember, they're the original apartheid country. Yep. So yep. now they're accusing Israel of genocide, I and mean, they're absolutely in service of Hitler's final solution while claiming it's the Israelis who are genocidal. Because obviously, there is no, not only is there no country of Palestine, there's certainly no people called Palestinians unique amongst the Arab nation. Uh, in fact, for 2,000 years, Palestine, which of course is a European colonialist name for the Jewish homeland, resulted in Palestinians being a reference to Jews. From the time of the Palestinian Talmud, hundreds of years before any Arab stepped foot in the country, all the way through the 1930s when Miss Palestine spoke Yiddish. 
Uh, this is the idea that a Palestinian is an Arab, and therefore the the uh, Israelis who are trying to stamp out the genocidal Hamas terror organization, which has genocide of the Jews in their charter, they want to stamp on, you know, that the, they're trying to do genocide against the Palestinians. It's just a, a, a rewrite of history. By the way, I'm, I'm talking to you from Union Station. As yeah. I was walking through Union Station, a man behind me yelled, free Palestine. Oh, God. Now, I'm a Jew from Baltimore. Tell me this is about politics. Please. <laughs> this is all about Jew hatred. And South Africa has officially become racist felt. By the way, did you see that Harvard is now facing a new lawsuit because of anti-Semitism on campus? I mean, they, they got problems to beat the ban. That, that is not a surprise. In fact, I was honored to meet today with the chairwoman of the Committee on Education and the Workforce, Representative Virginia Fox, uh, talking about what they're planning to do next. And, and, and trust me, things are coming for the universities. She said that she told the university presidents when they came to meet with her in advance of the hearing, she said, I do not respect the institutions anymore as places wow. of higher education because you're not doing higher education anymore. No, they're doing politics. And, Rabbi, one of the things that's gotten under my skin lately is I looked up because I'd ne I hadn't looked it up, you know, I don't, I don't think ever. Harvard gets two-thirds of a billion dollars every year from the American taxpayers. And you say, you know, number one, why are we giving that kind of money to an institution that has a $51 billion endowment and they don't need it? Uh, but number two, if they're going to behave this way, all the more reason to cut them off from two-thirds of a billion, $625 million a year they get from the U.S. Treasury. And they're a private institution. 30 organizations at Harvard that are officially recognized by the university on October 10, before Israel had done anything in reaction, right after the massacre, they said, we blame the Jews for the whole thing. All of the violence in the region is to be blamed on Israel, a.k.a. the Jews. Now, they advocated, therefore, it, they, they literally said, as far as we're concerned, it's open season on Jews in, the, in their holy land. So if it's open season on Jews in their holy land, how is that not, according to Harvard, discriminatory against Jewish students? How is it that those organizations have faced no consequences for calling for genocide of all the Jews in Israel. And all these accusations coming from an institution that, among other things, supports plagiarism openly and protects plagiarists. Uh, and oh, and they've, done, they've done other crazy <laughs> things as well that, that make no sense. They don't have much moral high ground to stand on, do they? More to the point, Lars, if you refer to a biological male wearing a skirt as he they will remove you from a teaching position. But if you advocate for genocide against Jews, that's okay. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Rabbi, thank you very much. I appreciate the time. Thanks for having me. That is Rabbi Yaakov Mankin, live from Union Station. In any case, glad to get your phone calls and emails at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Vote in our X poll. You'll find it on X at Lars Larson Show and on our website at LarsLarson.com. The Lars Larson Show.
best investment in talk radio. And it's free. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the program. Glad to be with you. And I'll get back to your phone calls and emails shortly. I want to talk to Ryan Walters, who's the superintendent of state schools in Oklahoma. And Ryan, I have to tell you something from a distance. When I watch the news coverage, it's like Oklahoma has become ground zero for the right way to run schools. And this is driving the liberals nuts. It sounds like your your school, your Oklahoma schools are in the news on a regular basis for doing the right thing. The uh, same way the Loudoun County, Virginia schools were in the are in the news almost every week for doing the wrong thing. You've become the go to when it comes to how do we run our schools in a way that actually serves the kids and the parents well. Well, I really appreciate that, Lars. You know, we really do think we're we're laying out a blueprint here on how we get our schools back on track here in Oklahoma. But you know, you've got to start with the foundation that parents know best for kids, and you and that we've got to put high expectations on kids and get these left-wing radicals out of our schools. And so we are we are fighting it every day here, but we have had a lot of success. Well, and lately you had this most recent development, and it's funny, I think we had just talked to you, and I saw this story pop up. NBC News said that you had to go out and get an emergency order from the courts to deal with a, an, another one of these transgender issues. Would you mind telling my audience about how that went down? Yes, sir. Yeah, you know, NBC did a pretty big piece on this this week where, you know, we had a um, transgender, um, uh, you know, kids that came in and their parents came in and demanded that the schools go back retroactively, change all their records to reflect the new gender. And the school said, well, no, I mean, we're not going to go back and change, I mean, like official records. And no, we're not going to do that. Well, then they got a federal judge to step in and say, school district, you have to do this. Well, my board, we passed in a board order and said, no, we're not going to do this. We are not going to go back, retroactively change official records um, to say that a kid is a new gender. And frankly, I told them, we're not playing these transgender games. It is lying to kids. It is confusing children. It is upending families. We're not doing it. Yet you are your gender that you were assigned at birth. We're not going back and changing records. We're not going to kowtow to a Biden judge. And so here in Oklahoma, we're just, we're just not going to play those games. Well, and in fact, I want you to focus on one piece of that. This was the parents demanding this? Yes. What is going on there that parents are participating in something like this when they have to understand it, it doesn't and usually doesn't work out well for, for the kids who are, who are the subject of all this? I know they're saying, oh, we're saving this kid's life by going along with whatever's going on inside of his or her head. Uh, because if we acknowledge their gender change, we're going to save them from suicide. Do they realize that when you look at what's going on here and in Great Britain and other places that are culturally similar, an awful lot of transgender people who make that change, whether they do the hormones or the surgery or all of it, don't end up happy at the other end of it, and a lot of them end up committing suicide anyway. Uh, and, and, Lars, that's the real tragic part of this. Uh, wokeism is a mind virus. I mean, people have allowed themselves to be to believe that a kid that is biologically of one gender, that that the that the cause to frankly typical teenage angst. I mean, there's always as you're going through puberty, as you're growing up, you're always you know you're learning about yourself. You're, you're they've taken that and now started to inject that you might be a new gender. And if you're a new gender, we might need to physically alter your body through surgery. We might need to start giving you hormones. This is so, so unhealthy for kids. It's dangerous for kids, and you're exactly right. What we have seen is suicide rates 
and, and other mental problems have continued to skyrocket amongst these kids that once they start entering into a transition, the reality is, is what we need to do is support our kids. We need to, we need to only affirm truth. Don't lie to them. And again, this is where I think we've got to get back to a place where in school we're focused on the basics. We're not injecting crazy ideology to our kids. And again, the, the, the real belief is that you're all talented. You're all uniquely created by, by a creator. And we want to get that potential out of you and you're special. You're unique. And that's what we should focus in on, not trying to inject this ideology into the classroom. I'm talking to Ryan Walters, who's the Oklahoma State School Superintendent and a former U.S. history teacher, so he's had his time in the classroom. There's another part of this, and I want to know whether or not you're seeing evidence of this. Uh, it just occurred to me, but a, a, about a year ago, I saw a study out of Canada. And it's the only place I see looking at this, and they say there's a strange or a strangely high number of autistic kids who are who are saying I am I'm transgender I need to change my gender ideology and that it's maybe as many as a third of them and they've suggested that you know for an awful lot of autistic kids they feel like they're on the outside like the, you know they don't relate to the other kids and the other kids don't relate to them but all of a sudden if they announce I'm changing my gender th- that becomes a point of acceptance you know like if I had a bunch of buddies who were all into football and I said okay I'll I'll get into football maybe a bad comparison but the idea is that to some extent this movement is taking advantage of kids who are disabled, right? And and that's even more disturbing. So some of the kids, maybe not all of them, but maybe a substantial number, are kids who are already disabled in one way or another through autism and, and don't take any don't don't have anybody take that the wrong way. I'm just saying if there's a you know a small percentage of kids who are autistic, but a large percentage of kids who are autistic and change their genders, there may be a connection there. And you may be dealing with kids who truly are up against a disability. And now a political movement is taking advantage of that. Yeah. And, you know, and this is where, you know, we are the the adults are supposed to be the ones that are being truthful with kids that are helping guide kids through childhood. And now we have adults that have just, you know, this wokeism has just taken them and so blinded them. They're leading kids down the wrong path. They, they are confusing kids even more rather than, yes, when kids have questions, when kids are, are maturing, you have, you have kind of more mature conversations with them. But to inject this belief of, well, these questions you have or, or this maturity that you're going through, you're a new gender and let's start talking about surgery. Let's start reaffirming that entirely and, and changing your records and you're a new person. That old person is dead. I mean, you start looking through what this does to the mental well-being of a, of a young person. It's incredibly detrimental. And the reality is, is this, you know, a, you look at the skyrocketing of kids saying they're transgender. Why is it all of a sudden happening? Because, again, this is now social pressure. It's societal pressure from the left. Like, yeah, this, is, this should be widely accepted. And, hey, these confusions you might have might mean you're a new gender. The reality is, is that is the worst thing to be telling them. It's more important to try to help them, um, you know, mature and, into, uh, into adulthood. So this this case involving Jay Doe, the one where you had to take emergency action and go to court on it, where does that one sit right now? Well, yeah, you know, they, they filed a lawsuit against me, which the left loves to do this. So, you know, I, I win an election handily. Um, I get our agenda items to the legislature. We ban critical race theory, ban, you know, have school choice now, ban this transgender ideology in our schools. And so now they just sue me every week. So, you know, now I've got the left that they try to sue me. They think they're going to bully and intimidate me. Um, and those that are standing with me on these issues. So, you know, hey, we'll see them in court, uh, you know, and uh, we feel very confident in our uh, uh, legal jurisprudence around this case. And we're going to keep fighting to keep the classroom about academics 
and about truth, not uh, this type of transgender ideology. Well, and in fact, uh, Superintendent Walters, uh, I think that if you have a child who's clearly got some difficulties upstairs, you know, some mental difficulties adjusting to their gender, I get that. But if parents decide to participate and say, well, we're going to get him, you know, him or her uh, hormone surgery, we're going to go along with this. I think that's a form of child abuse. And and I really wish, but I imagine these days with all the wokeism going on, that if you say, well, we're going to go and take a, a hard look at what these parents are doing to facilitate their kids' fantasies, that that's not going to go over well with the left either. Brian Walters is the superintendent of the Oklahoma State Schools. He's fighting a good battle. And in a lot of places in America, there isn't any champion for that battle at all. And I'd love to talk to naysayers about it who think, well, we can just fix these kids with enough surgery and enough hormones, with chemical castration, maybe a double mastectomy. We're going to fix the problems of these kids. I don't think so. I think that's child abuse. Back in a moment. Glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. transmit disease through the radio trust me you don't want what he has more with Lars Larson so uh, Mr. Why, why is it good for the American worker that we force our supply chains to a country that's our greatest rival and adversary and why is it good for the American consumer that is a great question from Missouri U.S. Senator Josh Hawley. And yet, even as the wheels are appearing to fall off the EV revolution that Joe Biden is funding with billions, hundreds of billions of your dollars, there's brand new evidence just this week and even today uh, that is just completely coming apart. The capo of the Biden crime family is cranking up to two-thirds of a billion dollars that he wants to send off to buy thousands of EV charging stations around America. And yet in the private sector, it appears that the private sector is saying, Joe, this isn't working for us and we're backing away from it fast. Glad to have you with me and welcome to the best conversation in talk journalism. If you want to join in, it's 866-HEY-LARS. And if you're a naysayer, glad to have you. Naysayers always go to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to me. It's easy to remember. Talk at LarsLarson.com and vote in our X poll. You can find us on X at Lars Larson Show. And the question is also at LarsLarson.com. But I've made the case that the wheels are coming off the EV revolution, no matter how many hundreds of billions of dollars Joe Biden pushes into it. Let me give you the latest evidence, and then we'll talk about what we already know, and then I'll get to some of your phone calls and emails. So, as of today, one of the biggest car-owning companies, not car-making, car-owning companies in the world, is Hertz Global Holdings. Now, why is that? Because they rent cars to people. So they know a lot about what it takes to rent, own, and operate vehicles. And guess what they just announced? They announced today they are going to sell 20,000 of their electric vehicles from their U.S. fleet. And why? Because of high expenses related to collision and damage, they're getting rid of 20,000 EVs, and they're going to go back to gas-powered cars. Now, 
Does that mean they've gotten rid of all of their EVs? They'll probably try to work out the, you know, the rest of the life value of these cars they put in because Hertz had made this commitment that they were going to order a hundred thousand Teslas by the end of 2022. And they followed that up with a deal to buy about 65,000 units over five years from Polestar. Except now they're finding out just how very well EVs do not work. Here's a quote from their regulatory filing that they put out today. Expenses related to collision and damage primarily associated with EVs remained high in the quarter, the latest quarter. The company had previously set a target of 25% of its fleet to be electric by the end of this year, 2024. They expect about $245 million of incremental depreciation from the proposed sale of the fourth in the fourth quarter of 2023. In other words, they got a problem owning these cars. They're expensive. They're expensive to buy. They're expensive to operate. And they're now backing away. Now, how does that match up with what else is happening in the marketplace? They were going to go from 3,200 units a month to 1,600 units a month. And why? Because they're piling up on the in the dealer's showrooms and out on the lots where you buy cars. And it turns out that customers aren't buying them at least not buying them fast enough to even consume current production. The only reason a company like Ford would say, we're not going to make as many of those cars in the near future as we had planned to make. They had planned to make more than 3,000 a month. They're going to cut that back in half. Why? Because they ain't selling. That's a problem. And yet consider what Joe Biden is announcing today. He's awarding $623 million, two-thirds of a billion dollars, in grants to build an electric vehicle charging network across the nation. So you've got Joe Biden spending gigantic sums of your money to build EV chargers at the same time that major players in automo- in, in EVs, including Ford Motor Company, including some of the other big mo- uh, car-making companies, are saying we're backing off of this stuff. Now, this is a problem, and it's not just a problem because Americans aren't buying the EV mandate But guess what? Josh Hawley, U.S. Senator from Missouri, also points out, hey, what a coincidence. The Joe Biden crime family made a lot of money in China, millions of dollars by Hunter Biden selling influence on behalf of then Vice President Joe Biden. And now who's the big winner when it comes to electric vehicles and the batteries and the chargers? Take a listen to the comment that Josh Hawley made just before the U.S. Senate this week. Currently, one nation accounts for 60% of the world's electric vehicle production. That nation is? China. Yeah. One nation accounts for 76% of the world's lithium-ion battery production. That nation is? China. China. So China wins big. The Biden crime family got millions of dollars. American taxpayers are paying the cost. So guess what the alternative is? Well, Donald Trump held a town hall yesterday instead of wasting his time with the also-ran candidate for president in Iowa. He instead held his own separate town hall meeting and take a listen to the commitment that he's made when he becomes president in January of next year. On day one, I will also cancel Crooked Joe Biden's insane ethanol-killing electric vehicle mandate. That is the promise that Donald Trump has made. So one more clear-cut choice 
because and oftentimes I hear from people, well, it's really hard to decide which candidate is better. Well, let's see, which candidate is going to close the border day one? Donald Trump. Which one's going to keep the border wide open for another invasion of millions of illegal aliens? Joe Biden. Which one is going to waste a lot of your money on battery-powered cars that Americans don't want to buy? That would be Joe Biden. Which one is going to kill the EV mandate on day one? Donald Trump. Seems like a pretty easy equation. To your calls now. Let's start with uh, Jeff. Hey, Jeff, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Well, I was thinking that I've had a great idea on how we can simply solve this whole illegal alien thing. Okay, we give it to me. We just find everybody that's got a Biden sticker on their car, and they get to house, <laughs> clothe, and feed one illegal alien. They just get to put their money where their mouth is. Boy, I'll tell you something, Jeff, by the way. I tend to notice these things. Have you seen a lot of Joe Biden bumper stickers on cars in your neck of the woods? I think I see a lot of scraped off stickers. Yeah, I see a lot of those, too, because I think a lot of people had buyer's remorse after 2020, uh, which was a fraudulent election anyway. But frankly, I mean, when Obama ran, I saw a lot of stickers of that. I saw a lot of Hillary Clinton stickers, although a lot of those are being scraped off as well. Joe Biden stickers, not so very much. Uh, let me get one conspiracy theory in. Jason, you're going to have to make it quick. We're close to the break. Yeah, talk, talk about getting out the illegal vote. They're, they're flooding these Republican states with these, with these illegal votes. They're trying to sway these red states to blue. And the inflation is not going down. It's going up. They've yep. been slowly going up, and, it's, and they're, they're bringing it down all of a sudden, just in time for the vote, to get out the vote. So, oh, yeah, we're bringing it down real quick for you, just in, just in time for election season. That's what they're doing, Jason. In fact, the state of Arizona has already said you can sign up to vote. Just show us your proof of citizenship. But if you don't show us proof of citizenship, we'll still let you vote, but only in the presidential election. Arizona's doing that right now. You've got the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. Healing power.